0: People are so scared of what the SEC could do. Have you stopped to think about what they would do? we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're jam-packed, high atop a brighter downtown Nashville, Tennessee. That daylight, when it comes back, it never fails to catch me off guard in the best of ways. There was huge news this weekend in college football, and it was overlooked by virtually everyone. And it happened two blocks away from here, and it has nothing to do with Alabama basketball, as it turns out. So that was the main event, and yet some things got said that may not have caught your ear, but that's why we're here. That's why the Sunday night Late Kick Live is going opposite March Madness brackets, and they tell me they're still doing the Academy Awards like those people didn't learn last year by those record low ratings. So we're going to talk about the time. I got big transfer portal questions. The Mood Tracker is back as of tonight. The Florida Mood Tracker is where we're going to start, and it's that time of year. You know what time it is. It's time for somebody to jump in the inbox and talk about the most insane college basketball to college football comparisons imaginable. And without fail, it has happened. So I will entertain all of us together, and we will choose one or two to laugh at before the end of the show. Uh, Let's see. Bartlesville, Oklahoma tuned in. Greenville, North Carolina. New Orleans, Louisiana. Sioux City, Iowa. Thank you so much. I mentioned something about, I'd say, three weeks ago, and it's time to do it now. Immunity. So if you are interested out there, if you're one of our diehards, if you're one of our longtime P1s, as you have even begun calling yourselves, and you want to do a little survey for us, it's free. Uh, Also, our way it's free. I'm not paying you anything. But I just wanted some feedback from some of you. If you don't want to do it, that's totally fine won't take long. I think it's like a five-minute survey. Uh, just just some interesting or some things we're interested in as we start to mold and shape our content plan for this upcoming fall season. So if you are interested, hit me or uh, hit Jesse because he'll be the one responding. Uh, LateKickSurvey at gmail.com. LateKickSurvey at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Did you hear from Greg Sankey? Did you hear from the SEC commissioner this week? He was talking not necessarily about basketball. There's been this big fear out there from coast to coast. And that fear is maybe the big boys aren't done moving. Maybe the SECs and the Big Tens of the world, maybe they're not done swallowing up programs. And if they really wanted to, they could just devour the entire sport, which is true. That's the fear of what they could do. But what will they do? That's the only important thing, right? What will they do? So I have sat here and taken a fair amount of criticism because we haven't had Greg Sankey on the show, yet some of you, there is a small fringe minority out there that have accused me of running interference for this man, for Greg Sankey, and I couldn't care less. I have my preferences just like you do. My preference is for the Oklahomas and Texas of the world, not to be in the SEC. I just kind of want everyone to stay in their own little geographical pocket, that's my utopia. I understand that's not reality. So I've got feelings just like you. I also understand there may be a reality that conference commissioners live in where they can't have their perfect worldview enforced via you know executive pen stroke. And, and translation, there are things sometimes you have to do that maybe even you don't want to do. So I don't know where Greg Sankey's heart lies on all this, but I am very interested, as you have been, And where his head is at moving forward and whoever the Big Ten commissioner ends up being and Brett Yormark out there in the Big 12, because that's all we've been talking about lately is conference realignment. I've been using the Dante's Peak volcano metaphors like they're going out of style. And there have been rumblings and rumblings and rumblings. Well, you notice most of that talk centered around the Pac-12. But lately, programs like, oh, I don't know, Florida State have made a little noise. Maybe a little chirping out of Clemson. And what is the automatic assumption there? If Florida State's talking, if Clemson's talking, they're not going to the Pac-12. So the natural conclusion is, could the SEC be lying in the weeds? And then Greg Sankey went on the Paul Feinbaum show, I think Friday, and he did not hold back. And I got to give him a lot of credit. And I am pleasantly surprised, as I think several of you will be, dare I say, relieved at what he said. So uh, three things I want to point out here. You don't have to speculate. This is the commissioner of the SEC talking on record. Quote number one, we were approached by Oklahoma and Texas who said to me, no TV, no money. We want to be a part of that. What you collectively have done in the SEC, I think that's incredible. It's a compliment to everyone in the league. Then last summer at Media Days, I became the center of expansion. What's he going to do next? I was very intentional to say we're focused on growing to 16. I thought that was important because it's the reiteration of what he said a few times. That was not new, but he was kind of reiterating, it's not like we went out actively searching for OU in Texas. They came to us, and I have told you my personal thoughts on this. My personal thoughts, perfect world, they're still in the Big 12. Real world, they're coming to the SEC, and real world, as it relates to Greg Sankey, is probably this. They came to him, That part he told you there. The part he didn't tell you, the part that I'm going to fill in the blank of, is I think he knew, as well as every other member institution in the SEC, they weren't just going to tuck tail and run back to the Big 12 if the SEC said, we ain't got room for you. They were going to the Big 10. I think that's where they would have ended up. So forget about your worldview for a second. Forget about mine for a second. Anyone who wants to criticize that guy for adding OU in Texas I want you to look me in the eye and tell me if you were the commissioner of the SEC and those two brands came to you and said, can we come in? You'd say no. And then what if they said, uh, can we come in for real? And you said no again. And it's it's not a Jehovah's Witness, guys. It's two big brands in the Midwest that want to come in. And they really, really expand the scope and breadth of the value of your TV deal. But even if you don't care about that, what if there was a third knock? For the last time, can we come in? And before you say no, you should be aware, if you do, we're going to the Big Ten instead. Then what would you do? Would you tell them no still? If you did, you'd be out of a job before too much longer. So anyway, that's why I've never, even though I personally don't like the move, I've never really blamed Greg Sankey a whole lot for it. Okay, now let's get into some fairly new revelations. The second quote he gave, again, this is all from the Paul Feinbaum show later this week. I'm shocked this didn't get more run than it did. Greg Sankey continues. And now he's talking about how they expand. We've done it geographically. We've done it well from media positioning. And I'm not a recruiter and I respect my colleagues. He just said a whole lot. That is what? One sentence, I guess. He said a whole lot. The first goes right back to what we've heard recently. And that is Florida State's unhappy with their deal with the ACC. Clemson, you can just assume, is unhappy with their deal and their revenue share and cut from the ACC and if there is trouble there, and if they find a way out, the natural assumption has just been, it'll be the SEC. That's where they'll head. Well, that can be a fear of yours, but Greg Sankey just told you a lot when he said, let me read the quote again, I'm not a recruiter. I respect my colleagues. Yeah, he talked about geography, and yeah, Florida State and Clemson would fit there, and if you stopped, if I were to intentionally out of context, late kick you. And I stopped the sentence there. It would sound like he's ready, willing and able to poach him. But when he said, I'm not a recruiter and I respect my colleagues, here's what I take that to mean. They're sitting still for a while and they probably know if they really wanted to go to the mat, there are some other brands, not just FSU Clemson. I'm talking about some other brands that would make sense geographically that they're not going after because they don't need to. There's one matter to be able to do something. There's the other matter of it being prudent and you needing to. Here is the money paragraph. Quote number three from Greg Sankey on the Paul Feinbaum Show, Thursday or Friday. I really should have nailed the date down. He continued, I understand that people have different motivations and different interests, but we need a time of settling and a time of collaboration. And we need a time beyond just collaboration and cooperation because we have some really important challenges ahead of us that require us to work together. Hey, I'm not simply sitting in my glass house throwing stones. We've added members too, but I think we all have to be careful in how we proceed and thoughtful in how we communicate. That is him giving you his vision of the future. That is not a man who sounds like he is on the precipice of poaching more schools just for the sake of poaching more schools. It doesn't sound like a man who's desperate. This is diametrically opposed to the stance that maybe you would have if you were the Big 12 commissioner. Certainly, it's another galaxy from the stance you would have if you were the Pac-12 commissioner. He's dealing from a position of leverage. And when you're enjoying a position of leverage, you get to undo the top couple of buttons on your shirt. You get to lean back. You get to spread your arms out. You get to pop one foot up over the knee, and you get to wait if you want to. You don't have to do anything. You can just be grandpa at the family reunion and chill over there and wait for someone to come to you. And even then, if you don't want to talk to him, you can say, go on, get this ain't no soup kitchen. At least that's the way it works in my family reunions. And so Greg Sankey's trying to tell you, hey, uh, forget about expansion for a while. We got some really, really big matters to attend to. You know, this whole NIL thing. This whole seeking federal help thing legislatively, that stuff is going to take cooperation. And I think the trepidation in his voice is not so much, can we go poach some more programs? It's, are these people going to be able to work together for a common good when we've basically had knives out behind each other's backs? At least that's the way it seemed on the surface and it it doesn't seem too dissimilar to that behind the scenes. Are we going to be able to work together to actually accomplish anything? Because I don't know if you guys can tell but I'm still just wearing the same white t-shirt I always have. So as of this evening, they have not elected me commissioner, and they have not even called me to talk about being college football commissioner, ignorantly enough. And so in light of that, it seems they're going to try and work together to fix college athletics. I wish them luck. I really do. What I will say is if you woke up mm, last Sunday morning, a week ago, and you were concerned that the SEC was about to go poach more programs, and the SEC was going to be the reason why another conference sank, I think you can rest easy for a little while. It doesn't sound like the SEC is intent on moving anytime soon, and it's not because they can't. It just sounds like they don't really feel like they need to. That's one domino. There are more dominoes out there. Next thing we need to figure out is who's going to be the commissioner in the Big Ten? And after that, we need to figure out whether that new commissioner and the member institutions and the powers that be in the Big Ten are interested in an Oregon or a Washington and whether those universities are ready to as soon as the door opens. We need to figure out whether that solidarity, that arm-in-arm approach, that it feels like those four corner schools have when it comes to the Big 12 trying to poach them. Is it really as strong as it seems? I tend to think not. Uncle Dennis had the Utah athletic director call him out the other day on Twitter. And, hey, I'd be over here oohing and eyeing if I hadn't heard conference commissioners and athletic directors say one thing the literal night before the next thing happened. So that really meant nothing to me. Some of you wanted me to talk about that. You know what I may do? Because I called him the other day and asked him if he'd be up for it. I may just have Uncle Dennis on the show one night very soon. Because why listen to me talk about him and his uh, reporting when we could just have him on? All right, um, moving on. So, that, so there you go. No expansion this week from the SEC. Good news, I think, mostly all around. Transfer portal's wide open. Transfer portals just continue to go like that throughout Christmas and New Year's and not quite Valentine's Day, but you get the picture. And I told you the other night, and I'll tell you again, Chris Hummer did an excellent job, so you didn't have to. He went across the entire country. He put together the top 150 questions he had. We don't quite have that time, even though we live in an on-demand world and we set our own hours. We don't quite have that much time on the show tonight, but I gave you four questions that I was focused on the other night. I'm going to give you four more tonight. Big transfer portal questions. Now, this includes guys who have already moved, for example, at Auburn. You know, they essentially had to just import new offensive and defensive lines. Not entirely, but they had to replace a lot. There was so much attrition on the O-line and D-line, they brought in... Six guys, I think, out of the top 100 just in the transfer portal rankings. Five of them were O-linemen and one of them was a defensive lineman. And I'm counting a tight end with the O-line, by the way. So they made it very obvious. They brought in a running back too. They made it very obvious where they needed help. I guess I should say it was obvious where they needed help and it was obvious to them. So they went out and got some help there, we think. They've already started spring practice over there, we know. And what I assume is there is a certain percentage of just quick switch, just turn on the light switch because it's Hugh Freeze, because it's his offense, because I happen to think Robbie Ashford is a pretty good fit at quarterback for what they want to do, and because they still have the post-spring portal window to maybe go pluck one or two more names. There's a certain percentage better offensively. I just think they'll be this year. That goes without saying, although I said it, Uh, but the follow-up there is you're nothing in the SEC without at least being average on the line of scrimmage. You're not really anything. And that's before depth concerns hit you. You can have quality depth concerns out of the gate, but you and I both know going through a league schedule in that conference, you're also going to have injury depth concerns. And so I know that every every summer we enter preview magazine season and you'll sure enough, if you live down in, oh, let's say Fort Mitchell, Alabama, You'll probably open up a preview magazine and you'll familiarize yourself with all these new portal editions and you'll look at the depth chart and you'll say, if, 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 and if, and if, and you'll paint yourself this picture where everyone's healthy and everyone plays uh, 12 games and everyone plays 60 snaps per game. If all that happens, we could be pretty good and you'll be right. And then reality will hit and no one ever has it go that injury free. So that's that's on down the road a little ways. First off, let's see what they turn into just offensively in general. How about Oklahoma? I did not know that they were this bad at rushing the passer last year. I knew they were bad. I did not know that they only had 26 sacks total last year. That was tied for 64th in FBS. Got to be better there. They've made a concerted effort to be better. They had no more. They had no player with more than five sacks last year. Entire team. No player had more than five. So they got Two of the top pass rushers out of the portal. Uh, Dasan McCullough, 6'5", 225. Uh, He had 32 solos and four sacks last year in Indiana. Jesse, I want to say he was a freshman last year. Is that true? He was a true freshman last year. So there are a lot of folks in the industry who think he's just scratched the surface of what he could do. And then Rondell, hit me with it, Jesse. Bothroyd. We struggled mightily with the last name earlier today. See, some of you think I butcher names phonetically just because I'm not paying attention. Jesse flashcarded Rondell's name to me, and I had no problem with the first name. The last name, good thing it's only March. I still have work to do. I will tell you this, though. He got six sacks as a defensive tackle at Wake Forest last year, so they imported two really, really good guys. And then also uh, Devin Sears from Texas State, just to add defensive line depth. Same thing we just said about Hugh Freeze and Auburn. Applies to Oklahoma defensively. Does it not? I would think it does. They were bad defensively last year to not put too fine a point on it. So there's a certain amount of improvement that I expect just because the calendar flips year one to year two. How big, how drastic is the improvement? Now that, well, that's what God invented spring for. Michigan. Instead of writing a position group, I just wrote Michigan, Michigan and everywhere. It's not just an underrated song from Fleetwood Mac. It's also where they added help. Now, some areas a little bit more than others, but unlike some of these teams, there was no gaping hole. There was no place where you looked at Michigan and there was this big blinking red light, warning, danger, danger. They were number five, or they're number five in terms of returning production. Florida State's number one, by the way. Can you imagine how frequently that stat is going to be thrown in your face in August from people who just showed back up After reading a preview magazine and thinking they're telling you something you don't know, we will have known for months. We will have known for months. Uh, Michigan did add playmakers and depth on the offensive line. Ernest Hausman was a linebacker at Nebraska. Number two in the portal. I think it is position. Uh, Ladarius Henderson, an offensive tackle out of Arizona State. Second team all Pac-12 last year. Very versatile. Cross-trained him. Can play at virtually every position on the offensive line. You can clearly tell. When someone says virtually every position, it normally just means the kid hasn't played center. That's normally what it means. Uh, They got a tight end. They got another OT. They got a center. The average player rating for the kids they got out of the portal is 90.7. So the reason I tell you that is if you just look at Michigan's portal class, I think it's ranked in the mid-teens. So you may say, that's not all that great. They went and got what they wanted. They didn't have many needs. They just went and plucked what they wanted, and they were selective. They were not going to live or die based on what they did in the portal. So they went and got a kid that has an average player rating of 90.7. That's really, really good. Also, UCLA, Chip Kelly got himself a new contract extension, I saw. a UCLA, as we sit here right now, 104th returning production on offense. And that's because they lost some really good players. Quarterback, running back, number one wide receiver. So what did they do? Boom, boom, boom. Went and got three of them. Just fill those voids. Apples to apples. That's seamlessly how it's going to happen for Chip Kelly. I kid, kind of. But they went and got Colin Schley, and they also have Dante Moore, who's a five-star quarterback just coming in, traditionally, if you want to call his recruitment traditional. He's going to be a true freshman out of high school. That's what's traditional about him. So Colin Schley could end up starting for them. If he doesn't, it'll be for the same reasons that maybe Dylan Gabriel doesn't start this year at Oklahoma. It's just because the true freshman Jackson Arnold was that good. Well, at UCLA, if Colin Schley doesn't start, it's just because Dante Moore was that good. But they got themselves a very solid insurance policy there from Kent State because who stayed at Kent State? Also, uh, Carson Steele, running back from Ball State. J. Michael Sturdivant, wide receiver from Cal. They got some good players. Now, again, they have to hit the lottery in terms of injury luck, but most teams do that don't recruit in the top five or so. Uh, nationally, in terms of traditional recruiting rankings, he was a freshman All American. Stewart was a freshman All American at Cal last year. So they went and got themselves some good players. I have said several times over the past couple of months and apparently confused some of you because you DM me asking me what I mean that I think the sport has come to Chip Kelly more so in recent years than it ever had before. And you say, What do you mean? What do you mean come to Chip Kelly? He's been here forever. He was at Oregon, he went to the NFL, he's come back, he's been there several years. I'm not talking about him being new. I'm saying that his style is such that Chip Kelly's never been a guy who is known to pound the pavement and and battle the Georgias and Clemsons and uh, Texases of the world for the number one recruits in the country. He has, in fact, prided himself on not needing to do that. I mean, Oregon rose to prominence and the guy had three stars littered all over his roster and only then did they start to attract more national high-caliber players. Well, then people caught up Chip Kelly a little bit, and it turned out that he was no longer able to slap you on the back of the head with a bunch of three stars. He was going to need some racehorses, and he didn't necessarily have that. And so the thought was, comes back to UCLA, it doesn't immediately explode. Maybe the game's passed him by. Then the game changed. And all of a sudden, you can pay kids coming out of high school, Dante Moore, for example, and there's nothing wrong with it. And all of a sudden, you can let kids go to another school, and play for two or three years and sharpen themselves, and then say, Hey, are you tired of Muncie, Indiana? Would you like to come and play football in California for a year? Huh? Would you like to do that? Have you ever seen a palm tree before? Would you like to come out here? And you can do it. It's called the transfer portal. Chip Kelly is living his best life right now as a college football coach, and he's like decades into his career. That's what I mean when I say the game has come to Chip Kelly. If you, if you just, it's the opposite of the strategy Meemaw used to tell me. Meemaw said, you want something, go get it. Well, I'm telling Chip Kelly, you want something, just sit still until it comes to you. And that's exactly what college football has done. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. or go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. You can do whatever you want to. They have academy.com. If you just want to sit at home, they've got the big, bright, shiny brick-and-mortar stores if you want to go out and actually be social. I'm probably more the former rather than the latter, but you do you. Whatever you do, when you're gearing up this spring, just make sure you go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. I think the, the one thing that I've been asked more, two things I've been asked, okay? Number one, hunting accessories, Uh, In the fall, people ask me about it a lot. Yes, 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 they got it. And then spring, I've had grill questions this week because I really think that we have become so intertwined with Academy that some people think I work there, like this is my hobby, and then my nine to five is I'm a greeter at Academy. I don't tell them I'm not, for the record. So yes, we have a fine selection of all kinds of different name brand grills. Yes, yes, we can fit your needs depending on the budget, we can fit your needs. And so it's not just bats and balls over there. They got tents, they got grills, they got all different kinds of things. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, they've been our partner basically forever. Uh, we think they will be our partner forever. We went to lunch with them last week and certainly no end inside of that relationship. If anything, there is, there is a sign that we're even ready to take the next step, which at this point would just be us doing the show from Academy every night. Whoops to knows to knows what's possible. In the meantime, I just humbly suggest you go to Academy for all your outdoor sporting goods needs. And in a relatively unrelated follow-up, like the video and subscribe to the channel. These three things I ask of you today. Um, let's see what we should talk about here. You know what's back, and it excites me to no end to tell you. The mood tracker is back. The mood tracker is just where we take our thermometer and boop safely into the fan base and then we pull it out and what does the thermometer say well it doesn't give us a temperature reading it gives us a mood reading this is not the fringe five percent on either side that think you're going undefeated or you're going winless we want to know what the the normal the everyday Florida fan is thinking right now because it hasn't been the most fun last several months you had the Jaden Rashada thing and this has been seen nationally by the way a lot of people nationally when they mention Florida football Billy Napier right now They're thinking, oh, that's that school that lost down on Rashada. Oh, they've had back-to-back losing seasons. First time since 78 and 79? Are you kidding me? That's the last time Florida had back-to-back losing seasons, and they've had a bunch of coaches leave. So this is a synopsis of what the nation thinks about Florida. What is the mood inside the Florida fan base? No one knows how to get inside the heads of Florida fans more than me. And I say that both sarcastically and realistically, uh, because we have such a love-hate relationship with the Florida fan base. By that, I mean some of them think we hate them for no reason, and we actually love them for many reasons, and that's how the love-hate relationship works. Armed and ready is how I describe the mood of the Florida fan base right now. You see, they love Florida. They know, they have a keen sense of awareness when outsiders are trying to come after them, especially When some outsiders, let's say in the regional and national media, not even to mention other fan bases, are using some tough times to disproportionately paint a negative light over the program. The Rashada stuff happened. Uh, Losing coaches, although I would argue they didn't lose them. I mean, going to the NFL is not losing anyone, but that's happened. Uh, Them not recruiting quite as well as people have wanted. Yeah, that's happened. It's also not dire straits down there. And the back-to-back losing seasons thing is not something Billy Napier brought with him necessarily. It's a lot of what he inherited. So anyway, you know, my, you know my strategy is normally to err on the side of benefit of the doubt in the spring. The fan base doesn't have to be that way, though. What I mean when I say the Florida mood is armed and dangerous is these people are ready to fight for Billy Napier. Uh, these people are ready to fully buy in. These folks are ready to go to war for him. They just have to be given A Reason to Believe, one of the great Rod Stewart songs of all time, and uh, I highly recommend the unplugged version. You give them a reason to believe, and that's all they'll need. need. Just need the spark. Just need the spark. Thought we had it last year when they beat Utah, and then the Kentucky game happened the next week, and Anthony Richardson had no clue where the ball was even going, and then they started slipping and slipping and slipping and slipping away. Well, what do they need this year? What do they need? What is that what is that reason to believe? Well, I'll tell you. The first one would be, sure, would help if Graham Mertz ended up fulfilling on some of the early whispers. And there are never negative whispers in the spring, so I know I've had a lot of you hit me up. Hey, what do you think about Graham Mertz now? Well, what I think is he's he's gone through a few he's gone through a few practices down there in shorts, and he's looked like most quarterbacks doing shorts. Let's give it some time. I have healthy suspicion that Graham Mertz is going to light the SEC on fire but I'm the same person who believed in him at Wisconsin two years ago. So who knows? Maybe he'll round into form down there. That would help. That's the first thing. The second thing is the replacements that Billy Napier has had to bring in. You know, the Austin Armstrongs of the world, for example, on defense. They have to pay off. They have to. He has to hit on his coaching additions. Now, you can either look at the defensive losses one of two ways. You can either say, "Uh uh-oh, they lost their defensive coordinator. Or you can say, Ooh, they were 102nd in yards per game allowed last year. We need change defensively. I would probably, especially if I were a Florida fan, choose to lean towards the latter mentality. But really, here's what it comes down to. Okay, we're talking about individualized aspects of the program. What it really comes down to is the aggregate of the gains that you have in the year one to year two transition under a quality coach have to be enough to overcome the individual losses. They have to be enough to overcome the individual negatives. You're going to have leaks, uh, certainly. But if you're bailing water faster than the water's coming in, that's all you need. You're not going to be a finished product in year two. And what I respect about Napier, and I've listened to him talk a lot down there, is is he, he's no different. His mentality's no different then the guy in Athens, then the guy in Tuscaloosa. He doesn't have quite the experience level of some of those guys, but his mentality is no different. He's got a system, got a process he believes in, doesn't particularly care what outsiders think, and he's going to stick to it. We have seen Mike Norvell do that recently at Florida State, and it is just now starting to pay off. Had Mike Norvell cared what people said about him the first two years, He never would have seen it through to year three. If the administration cared what other folks were saying, they wouldn't have allowed Mike Norvell to make it through to year three. Now, I know my friends down in Gainesville don't necessarily want the Tallahassee, to Gainesville corollary here, but broad strokes purposes, what I mean is you gotta give a guy time. You can't tell me how disastrous the end of the last regime was, but then say, well, if the other guy, the next guy didn't win in year one, we're screwed. No, you're not. Norvell wasn't. Uh, I happen to think Sark in Texas will make a jump this year, and we'll find ourselves talking about him similarly. Sark wasn't. You just needed three years. Sometimes even these this day and age, you need three years. Lincoln Riley didn't need three years. Each situation is different. Apples to bowling balls. Maybe he needs two years. Maybe he needs three years Kirby Smart almost lost to Nichols State his first year, and that was at Georgia. That was a much more pristine situation than any of the guys I just mentioned inherited. So let's just give it a little time, but the Florida mood, armed and ready. You give them just an inkling of a reason to believe, and they'll be the Florida fans that we all know and love. They're watching us in Indianapolis, Indiana. They're watching us in Kensington, Maryland, and they're watching us in Valley, Alabama, home of the Rams. One of the more underrated high school stadiums in the state of Alabama that I've seen is the stadium there at Valley. I forget the name of it, but uh, really, really well-constructed. Not the easiest place to get to, but really well-constructed. All righty. I think it's as good a time as any to take a sip from the chalice because I am going to have to choke down what I'm about to have to respond to. Oh, boy. I love March Madness. Before I even, Colin, I don't even want this in the video. I love March Madness. Love it. I should also take this time to let you know, a lot of you have asked, are we going to do a late kick bracket pool? Why not? We'll put Bradley in charge of it. So yes, stay tuned. Follow on the socials at Late Kick Josh. I'll probably, over the next 24 hours and the Tuesday Late Kick Extra Pod, give you the details and instructions there. I love this time of year too. What I am about to read, I do not love. All right. Colin, here's your end. You got death, you got taxes, and you got these insane college basketball to college football format comparisons that hurl themselves towards us like asteroids this time of year. Aiden chose to be the pinata this year, and Aiden said, everyone is focused on the excitement of March Madness brackets being revealed today. I guess you still say this wouldn't work for college football, though. From Frankfort, Kentucky, the capital of Kentucky. Aiden, you're not in here, so I guess I'm going to have to ask you a question and answer for you. If you're asking me, if I'm saying that a 64-team playoff wouldn't work in college football, let me never have been more clearer than I'm about to be. Yes, I'm telling you a 64-team playoff wouldn't work for college football. I know that I am not talking to 98% of you right now, although I think most of you would be entertained by it just like I am responding to this sort of thing. This is my life. These are what some of my DMs look like. It's not just Outer Banks season four plot suggestions of which I am buried under right now. Inside joke, if you know, you know. But I get this a lot. I get this world of anytime something happens in another sport, that even loosely resembles what someone has once upon a time asked for in college football, it doesn't matter how logically bankrupt it is. Someone comes and they wag their finger at me, and they never have their real name or their face in their profile, by the way. And they wag their finger and they say, I guess you, I guess you say this still wouldn't work in college football. Who doesn't say that? Who out there is saying a 60-14 playoff would work? So there are, there are some nuance to be had here. So I'll follow you, because there is a germ of a legitimate argument in this. But first, I'm going to wail away at the more ridiculous exterior of this argument, because even expansionists don't want this. We have got a sizable portion of our audience that disagrees with me on college football playoff expansion and whether they would like it or not. I don't like it. Some of you would like it. Even those of you who would like it are in unison with me in saying, Go sit by the garbage, Nathan. No one wants a 64-team college football playoff. Like 1% of us, 1% of us think that. And you would be terrified to know what other worldviews that 1% holds. So I welcome you. Subscribe to the channel while you're here. But the 99% of us, I think, understand that's ridiculous. You may want a 12-teamer or a 16-teamer or an 8-teamer, but virtually none of you want 64. So then... After Nathan has gone and sat by the garbage, then some other slightly more reasonable-minded folks come over and they wave at Nathan on the way by and they say, yeah, Josh, but you even say a 12-team college football playoff wouldn't work and I have to stop you. I have to do the whole, I never said that. We had to have this little argument amongst ourselves the other day. Remember this? I never said that if we can just look at that point in a bubble for a second, here's the bubble. If we could ever look at that point in the bubble, I think the 12-team college football playoff will be ultra exciting, especially the first few years. It'll be ultra exciting. The selection Sunday, I guess we would have one of those like we do now. Very exciting. None of this I've ever suggested otherwise from. So then I guess maybe if you just heard me say I'm not for playoff expansion a second ago, you're saying, well, sure sounds like you're for playoff expansion. No, I've just always very simply pointed out it's, it's not in a vacuum. It's not in a bubble. There's something you have to give up to get that. So as I promised you a month ago, I'm not relitigating all that. But um, whether it would work or not as a mechanism versus whether it works in meshing with what I think is the best for the sport, those are two different concepts but we really always circle back to this thing that the one percenters the most casual amongst us this time of year do they understand that it's a very very entertaining time of year it's it's the time of year for college basketball and it's entertaining and everyone gets into it i mean my sister will fill out a bracket and she thinks drake is some dude she was in second grade with so everyone gets into march madness and therefore some of the more casual-minded folks out there take it upon themselves to prey on the situation and leverage your emotion against you. And at the perfect time, watch and see what I tell you. Buzzer beater, round one, 15, takes down two. Someone's going to go on Twitter, as sure as I sit here, and they're going to say, imagine not wanting this in college football. And I'm just going to go punch a wall somewhere. Imagine not wanting what in college football? That same person, of course, is i mean probably already typing with their elbows in all caps to begin with. But if I could have a nuanced conversation with that person, I would say, imagine not having this in college football. Hey, um, this 15 seed that just beat this two seed, what did you think about them in November? What was your favorite game they played in December? When did they they start to round into form in January? Could you give me some of the high points of their February? And the answers would be, I don't know, probably not, no, and definitely no, because the first time most of you paid attention to that 15 seed was in late March when the tournament started. Because the very format of college basketball suggests that you don't have to pay much attention until March. I have never hated on college basketball, and I never will. Because it's not the sport I cover. I'm entertained by it just like you are. I leave well enough alone. If that is what works for college basketball, that's what works for college basketball. I am never one of these people who grabs my little tom-tom and starts beating on it and saying, well, the NFL does it. Well, the NBA does it. Well, college basketball does it. There's, There's no logic behind it. College basketball does what? College basketball plays on wood instead of grass. College basketball is round. Instead of shaped like football, should we should we implement those changes? It works for them. Well the well Josh, we'll just talk about football. Well the NFL does this. Why shouldn't college football do it? Do you really want to follow that through to a logical conclusion and find out how dumb it is? Would you like trades? Do you want free agency? Kind of already had that in college football. But do, do you want trades? Do you want cuts? Do, do you want salary cap? Like should we just institute everything? Do you want a kid to wake up one morning and Mike Gundy come in and say, Trevor, I've got to talk to you. Um you have been traded to FAU. You have until noon to pack your bags and get on a flight. It works in the NFL. So yes, it is that time of year. And yes, I will be entertained right along with you. I just hope that we can all be adults enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really go hard on the A there. Adults enough this time of year and every time of year to watch what's great about one sport and then just stop. Just enjoy it for being great and being that sport and not have to go all yaw yaw and rah, 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 rah. I can't believe you don't want this in college football. Believe it because I don't. And you don't either. You just don't know it yet. <sighs> I, I handled it better this year than I did last year. Last year, I just screamed and I'm not a yeller. We all know that my voice will leave on a moment's notice. In fact, I'm going to take another sip from the chalice right now. So, yeah. Um, it, it, it occurs to me as we're on the air that as is the case with every live show, there are a few hundred people that are going to watch this show and it's the first show they've ever seen. Or maybe you're listening on podcasts, it's the first show you've ever listened to. And you may think to yourself, what have I stumbled upon? Uh, this is called Late Kick. and it is a year-round college football show. Obviously, we don't talk about any other sport. And we do not believe in the off-season to the point where we don't even say the word. We would like you to be a part of our number here. It grows by the week, and we would like you to be part of it. And you don't have to pay anything. You don't have to sign up for anything. You just kind of show up when we have the show. And we have our own university. It's called Pate State. Maybe you'll buy a t-shirt one day. We'll see. Going to open the store again later this spring. You know what? If you're good at that sort of thing, e-commerce, design, hit me up. May not go anywhere, but hit me up. I have a few ideas for that. All right. We had another question and uh, it's it's about two very big names. So let me hit this. I was going to save it for Tuesday, but why not? We'll throw it in now. Sade hit me up and said, checking in from Bryan, Texas, could this season be completely wide open with so many top teams having quarterback weaknesses? Now, I'm not totally sure what weakness is, but I got the impression that by mentioning top teams and weaknesses, Sade took it to mean that anyone who doesn't have a returning starter has weakness at quarterback. And it may be a wide open season. I don't know. I just don't look at some of these schools like Georgia, who doesn't have Stetson Bennett anymore. I wouldn't call Georgia having weakness at quarterback. I don't think Alabama... Once we see a quarterback move on, I don't view them as having weakness at quarterback. Ohio State, I mean, we're watching Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud move on from those two schools I just mentioned. I don't think they're necessarily looking at a weakness. In fact, I think there are some places out there where you are get a multi-year starter returning that would love to have Devon Brown and they would love to have Jalen Milroe. They would love to have these guys, Ty Simpson fighting, Kyle McCord fighting for their starting job. That's not weakness. Weakness is having no options. See, that's why we get to this time of year, and a lot of folks out there want to call something a quarterback controversy. The only controversy is when you don't have one. It's not controversial to have competition. That's what it is. It's just competition. And we, we got into this big to-do the other day talking about Texas and talking about how Sark called it a competition at quarterback, And a lot of you said, it's not a competition. We already know who's going to start. And I said, even if you do know that, which you don't, you just think it. I think it along with you. I think Quinn Ewers is going to start. I would lean 90% to him being the starter. That doesn't mean there's no competition. A competition doesn't end when you name a starter. It's just a daily thing. If you want to call the battle over, if you want to call the race for number one over, you could temporarily say that once a starter's name, competition, there is no end to competition ever. That just means if if your competition has ended, you have ended, you have ceased to grow as a player or a coach. So that's this whole soapbox. But back to the main point, the main topic, the main question, I don't necessarily know that that's the way I would look at that. Now, Now, say it said, will this year be wide open? Hey, we saw a wide open year a couple of years ago, and there was experience at a lot of places with quarterbacks. So certainly, I don't expect all these teams to have Heisman-caliber quarterback play. Ohio State, Bama, uh, Clemson's got a new quarterback and a new OC, although we know a whole lot more about their quarterback. Georgia, Carson Beck, um, it's been a little while since we saw that many of them having to replace a quarterback at the same time. So it's no guarantee, and, and one of them's probably going to end up struggling and, and disappointing, falling short of expectation. But just as sure as I say that, there's probably another one or two out of that group that are going to be in the playoff Come season's end, and it turns out they weren't weak at quarterback. Jesse is having Colin run Penn State B-roll, forcing me to talk about Drew Aller. Why not? Let's throw Penn State in the mix. Are they weak at quarterback because Sean Clifford has moved on? I don't, I can't remember which retirement home he checked into, but it's Drew Aller's time now. Is he a weakness? Just because he hasn't started games? He could end up being better. They can improve. Some of these places. Not necessarily suggesting that Bama or Ohio State will immediately improve over Heisman caliber quarterbacks, but Penn State could. They absolutely could. So, yeah, it could be wide open. Sure, it could be. I don't think it's going to be uh, because quarterbacks are a weakness at the major programs. I just think the sport's evened out a little bit over the last few years. That would be my take on it. Uh, Colin, did we have that question about uh, the Bama and Ohio State thing while we were on air? Yeah, okay, so we got that one. So you know what? The Late Kick Extra podcast is coming Tuesday, and I'll get to tons more of your questions, but I did want to knock a couple of these down since we do have a little time here. I'm going to take one more sip out of the chalice. Mm. Hmm. Leave this up, Colin. I forgot to tell you. Let me see. This is going to be very unprofessional. Let me see if I can look this up right quick. So uh, the chalice of supremacy, for those of you who are new around here, it's what I have in my hand here. It's got the paint state logo on it. They're not for sale. We've never sold a single one, although there is a growing black market for them by the day. A guy hit me up. I'm not going to give you his name. I am going to do my best to withhold certain personal details here. I'm reading straight from my DMs right now. A guy hits me up. He is a swim coach and a PE teacher. He says, I'm being called a hero locally. I enter school for practice. I hear someone yell, call 911. Little girl's drowning. I ran as fast as I could and found the little girl not breathing. No pulse. This is a real story, by the way. I performed CPR and managed to revive her. She went home from the hospital that night. She's completely fine. I've been honored by the school board with a proclamation. City Hall has invited me to their meeting on Tuesday for another honor. The truth is, though, the only honor I want is a chalice of supremacy. Do I qualify? This is another peek into the mind-blowing world that is my personal DMs. Chalice is on the way. Uh, The general rule of thumb is if you get our show some public notoriety, we will send you a chalice. But also, if you save a life... Just a new rule I'm inventing on the fly. If you can prove you saved a life, we'll probably send you a chalice. So well done, James. Saved a life there, and you get a chalice in return and a proclamation at City Hall. Okay, question from Doug in Mobile. Who will win another title first, Bama or Ohio State? You talk about a no-win answer from me here. Alabama is my answer, and it's because I have seen Nick Saban win a national championship as a head coach, and I haven't seen Ryan Day do it. And that's the long and short of it. Bama's recruited a little better. They got a little better track record. I fully believe in Ohio State. But the problem is, I, have, I just have proof of performance with Nick Saban. It's really that simple. Um, I don't doubt Ohio State now. So I'm going to ride the fence as hard as I can here. But even I'm going to have trouble balancing. The, the, the thing that this makes me think about is this conversation that we are training headlong towards. I've already heard it pop up with both of them. Now, I've mentioned it with Ohio State, but here's what the conversation sounds like. Stop me if you've heard this already. Stop yourself if you've said it already. Something like this. Boy, if Bama doesn't win a title in 2023, that Saban run may be over. Can you imagine how insane that is? Boy, if Ohio State doesn't win at all in 2023, that run may be over. Now with Ohio State, it sounds a little different. That's why I'm almost kind of going to reserve it and compartmentalize it and talk about it in a second. Because with Ohio State, you may be saying, if they don't beat Michigan again, or if they don't win the Big Ten. But with Bama, let me tell you exactly what will happen if Alabama doesn't win a national title in 2023. They'll be right back in the mix in 2024. The end. If they don't win one this year, what will have happened is they just didn't win a title this year. It's, it's this insane standard that no one else is held to. No one. Ohio State has won one championship in some of your lifetimes. They won one in the early 2000s. Some of you aren't even old enough to remember it. So they won it in 2014. They haven't won another one. And Ohio State, rightly, is viewed as one of the premier programs in the sport. Think about Clemson. Clemson won a title in 2016 on what some would call an illegal pick play with one second to go. I was right there on the field in Tampa, Florida. Uh, they, they blew Bama out in 2018. So, so they won one on the last second. They won another one convincingly. Uh, they, they're not there every year. Like, who's saying this? People who are saying it are people who have allowed their subconscious to morph into holding Alabama to an Alabama standard instead of just a regular college football standard. By college football standards, Bama's still at the top of the heap. And if you want to argue with me, Georgia is. You want to argue with me, someone else, Bama's right there near the top of the heap. Whatever. Semantics. So that's the Saban piece of it. With Ohio State, a little bit different tenor because of how the last two Michigan games have ended. I think nationally, most folks remember the last thing they saw, and that was Ohio State's kicker missing a field goal that would have sent them to the national championship game. I think Ohio State fans probably remember the Michigan game more so than that. And I think in time, that's what the nation will remember. I don't blame you. I've been at the last two Ohio State-Michigan games somber, as somber could be, around that Buckeye team, around that Buckeye program. And unlike two years ago, when they went into Ann Arbor, and as I've said before, it was just a perfect confluence of events where you could explain it away as, we just, we weren't the better team today. We came up here We played in the snow. They wanted it more. Their backs were against the wall. They were in wounded animal mode. However you wanted to explain it to yourself. It's understandable if you viewed that 2021 game like that. But the 2022 blow was a whole lot harsher. The the, the 2021, that was a gut punch. 2022 was like an uppercut that caught you square on the jaw and you fly up in the air and flat back bump on the ground and you see stars. You're just looking at the ceiling wondering what happened. You get them in Ohio Stadium. You've, you've got everybody that you need there. You've recruited better than them. You have got picture-perfect weather. Remember early in the week, the weather forecast looked bleak, and then all of a sudden, it's in the 50s. It's sunny. It, you've got that fast track. Everything's setting up for Ohio State to atone for what happened last year because that's all the entire year had revolved around. And they held Michigan like one yard rushing per per rush offensively in the first half. And Michigan still runs away in the second half. That no one expected. That no one could explain. There was no excuse for it. It's just you're totally confused. And I told you the story the other day about what it was like being in the stadium after it had emptied out. We were doing our postgame stuff. And some of those players came back down the tunnel after they were leaving to go back to their dorms. Just, man, it was oof. I don't like seeing that stuff. So they were just sitting in the stands. Seniors, never going to play again, never going to wear that uniform again. So if Ryan Day doesn't get it done this year and they don't beat Michigan again this year, I'm not one that's ever going to sit here and say, the guy should lose his job because of that. But I'm not an Ohio State fan. I, it's not my program. It's your program. And so if you feel that way, I know what your argument is. Your argument is it doesn't matter how many wins we get against Indiana. Indiana. It doesn't matter how many times we beat Maryland or Purdue. You're here to beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, and compete for national championships. And if he's 0 for 3 in the last three years doing that and has never checked all the boxes a single time, how do we know he was who we thought he was? It's not the craziest bit of logic in the world. I think it's a standard that's a little bit too high, but I understand the retort to that. This is Ohio State. You don't need to be here if you don't understand high standards. So you see, I could, I don't need anyone else in here. I can just debate myself, hold both sides of the debate and be totally fine with it. My answer is Alabama. I think Alabama probably statistically stands a better chance of winning one before Ohio State, but Ohio State's got a little bit bigger fish to fry before they're talking about a national championship. Whereas Bama, it's just Georgia and the title, Georgia and the title. And is that, is that our friends down in Baton Rouge saying, what about us? Is that our friends in Knoxville saying, what about us? Oh, we're only like eight months away. Isn't it great? Good show tonight. Appreciate you guys. For those of you who care about my well-being, yes, the second round of the office ping-pong tournament will commence tomorrow, and I don't want to spoil anything, and I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm sort of on a collision course with management right now. That's where I want to leave it. For Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Spate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.